What a wonderful song service we have just put together. We thank Derek for his choices and for leading us, but how wonderful. And what a blessing the prayers that have been shared, the words meaningful, not rote. I feel like my lesson's already been preached. You said what I wanted to say, what can I add? But I must, because I'm up here. <laughs> if you're visiting today, this is a sad day. Of course, we've had losses, you've heard of, of that. It's not just a sad day, but today is a sad day in the loss of Brother Bill Sanders to a tragic, tragic accident. Shifting a second, I feel like the prodigal son coming home. I actually, my wife and I were home last Sunday, so it's been two Sundays, but we were gone six, six weeks on the road. I missed my bed. I missed my chickens. My chickens squawked at me as if to say, who are you and where have you been? And they were all alive and I rejoiced in that. And they had continued giving me eggs and uh, they have been a blessing to my neighbors in that time. I hope you have been well. I bring you, bring you greetings from a bunch of churches where I've been, just as a quick mention. Um, twice and two Sundays, the church in Florence, Italy. That is the church of my youth. It is, uh, interestingly enough, the church where, as a teenager, I helped assemble the hymn book. Today is a sermon from a hymn. And back then, uh, the most we could come up with, translating from English to Italian, was about 200, 210 hymns. You have thousands, but uh, the church over there is happy with 210 still to this day. That hymn book is the hymn book for the nearly 3,500 to 4,000 Christians that are assembled in about 35 churches in that land. I'll be back in Florence, Italy, and then in Catania, Sicily with a group of you, 15 of you, in about three and a half weeks when I get on the road again, take a group to campaigns. And I'm glad that you're going. I'm glad I get to take you again. But I will miss my bed again. (laughs) I bring you greetings from the church in Searcy, Arkansas, called Westside. I was there for a Wednesday night. 17 years ago, I left. Uh, I served briefly uh, about four years as an elder there. But then my job overseas took me away. And uh, 17 years later, I was back. They're prospering, doing well, doing great. And it was such a blessing to be with them on their Wednesday night series. This past Wednesday night, I was here in, uh, with Faulkner at the um, Elders Connect leadership. And then for a couple of Sundays, I was in Louisville, Texas. And so uh, all of those congregations send you their greetings. And I bring your greetings to them as I travel uh, on your behalf. And uh, this is the summer of my wife and I's 40th anniversary. I cannot believe she's put up with me that long. Forty years. I used to be young. We used to be young. There are those that, of course, have long surpassed that. We celebrate nearly every Sunday. Seventy, sixty-five, sixty. Forty is nothing. But from my perspective, forty is good grief alive. How did that happen? How did it go by, you know, so quickly? We have attempted on other times, I have attempted to do something special, you know, more than just candies or, or, uh, or flowers. But uh, August the 18th, a note to young people in those pews over there, and I'll say it again on another occasion when there are more of them there. Don't get married in August. Not if you're going to be a teacher. 
Don't get married in August. That's a bad idea. Uh, it's never a good time to celebrate an anniversary. So a lot of anniversaries, that was all we could do. But this was the 40th. So uh, after working hard for three weeks um, overseas for other reasons, uh, I got to take my wife to a place that's dear to her. And it is in the Cotswolds in England. And that is where the lesson comes from today. It's a sermon from a hymn, but it's uh, appropriate to the occasion. And the occasion is sadness because a tragic accident took away Brother Bill yesterday. And, and so it's a note of encouragement, like the prayers and the words that have been uttered so far have been, and like the hymns that have been chosen, and especially the last one you just sang, which was about blessings about blessings in the midst of losses to count your blessings. So maybe you recognize the title. God is the fountain whence. God is the fountain whence. Burton on the Water is a 17th century village. Truly it is remarkable. I don't know where you've lived, uh, but Montgomery is, of course, a mid-sized city with traffic. And I really hate I-65. I think I've said that before, especially around the Birmingham area. Wasted time. Why didn't they build that road bigger, wider? Seems like anything blocks it, and there you spend part of your life in traffic. There is a place in England, two hours north of uh, London, called Burton-on-the-Water. It's one of several villages in the Cotswolds. Um, that go back three and a half centuries before there were cars, before there were highways, when there were just sheep and goats and, you know, other things like that. And there was a, a quietness and a, and a solitude. I don't know about you if you've traveled in England or not, but uh, I don't enjoy driving on the wrong side of the road. It's just nerve-wracking. Some of you may be good at it. My wife says I'm not. So we don't. I rented a car once and I gave it up the next day. I said, she's a basket case, I'm a basket case, this is no fun, you know. So you go there by train and you get there and no, it's nine miles south of the nearest train station so you have to get a taxi. And we got an English lesson in English history on the nine mile ride from the train station to Burton on the water. The little stream of water that goes through is only about six inches to a foot deep. Literally, there are roads where you, to cross it, there's not a car bridge. You just drive through it. You know, and you don't need a 4x4. Four four. And by the way, you have to make sure that the ducks are not in the way because it's ducks. I fed ducks for four and a half days. It was wonderful. I know my chickens were wondering where I was. I was feeding ducks. Where life slows down. On my 40th anniversary, where you can look back, and you can look at all the all the things that have transpired, or you can try to recollect what has gone on. It was a wonderful place. I read, we walked, I visited with people in the village, and it does have to do with the lesson, by the way. It's not just an intro. It's a place where one of the hymns that has been in our fellowship for over a century, it's a place where it was born. It's called Burton on the Water, and it's a wonderful village. The cottage in which we stayed was built in the 17th century, so I guess the people were a lot shorter than us because it was only six foot high. I spent four and a half days going like this. So you can imagine why I didn't take Christian, or Jordan for that matter, even with their puffy hair, you know. So... 
you just walk in the trails in the countryside and you visit with people. The tourists do come. It's a modernity. You see, I'm a tourist, but I'm there four and a half days for I like that acted like I was one of them, you know, like I belong there. And the Asian tourists, the Japanese and the Chinese came in busloads. They came in at ten o'clock, but they left at five. So it's like for seven hours you had to put up with the, the hordes, and then the village was ours again. And it was quietness. And it was just us and the ducks and the town people and the one grocery store, you know, and the and that's it. There is a place like that. There is a quiet corner of the world. I wish it were free. I'd go there a lot more. I'd send you. I'd take you with me. Burton on the water in the Gloucestershire. It's called the Cotswolds. And it's where him was born. There are two churches in town. I visited with the people of both. One's an Anglican church. Of course it is. It's is St. Lawrence. And it has its own cemetery. Then there's another cemetery that's further out. And I walked in cemeteries and I read the, the gravestones. And I, there are stories there to be told about lives, about faith, about marriages, about all kinds of things. You can, you can think about all kinds of things there. I had visited back five years before, but they had done major renovations inside. I talked to one of the deacons there about the uh, renovations they had done. And, and uh, I revisited with him. The time before, I had been able to observe a couple of their services to see what their liturgy was and what they did. And uh, to, to, to see what in the Anglican denomination they do, to observe what they did there. I had asked the right reverend permission to be an observer from outside. I introduced myself to it. There is in the yard, the courtyard outside of, of this Church of St. Lawrence, there is a tomb one in particular that brings me to the lesson of this morning. His name is, was Benjamin Bedden, and that's his grave marker. And he's buried there in the, ironically, in the graveyard of the Anglican church that's nearby there. Benjamin Bedden, born 1717 and died in 1795. He was an 18th century guy, and uh, he is the author, he is the author of a ton of poems. He was a poet, but he was also a preacher. He was going to be, at the age of 19, a surgeon, but I don't know why, but he abandoned that after one year of training in London and uh, decided to go in the profession of preaching instead, to be a minister. And he ministered for over 50 years in Burton on the Water in this village. Now, he was not Anglican because the Baptists had already come. And there's a church on the other side of town. I visited with the pastor there to talk to him for a while about that. And, and that thing on, the left, on my left side, on your right, is the plaque that they have in the Baptist church that honors the hymn writer by the name of Benjamin Bedham, who has served as as a preacher of their church for over 50 years. And his wife actually is buried there. Actually, he's buried in the Anglican courtyard, but his plaque is also, and they are glad to claim him in the church just down the road there. And that is the story of Benjamin Bedden. could tell you more, but I don't want to. This is the hymn. Could you open your books, please, to number 117? I'd like to actually sing it a second with you, if you don't mind. Number 117. I asked Derek's permission to do this, to interfere with his plan just for a moment. 117. 
God is the fountain whence ten thousand blessings flow to him my life, my health, and friends, and every good I owe. The comfort he affords are neither pure nor small. He is my source of fresh delights, my portion and my all. He fills my heart with joy, my lips attunes for praise and to his glory I'll devote the remnant of my days. I'm not a poet. I'm not even a wordsmith. I have met some men I have met some preachers that are great wordsmiths. But to be a poet takes an extra skill. We have two poets in this audience, Brother McKee and Brother Gene. They write poetry, set it to music. We sing them from time to time. What a gift, what a blessing it is. This guy, Benjamin Benton, did one every single Sunday for 50-something years. Now, the tragedy of it all is that only posthumously 13 of his were were published. But this is one that is in your book, and and some of you at least know, maybe not all. It may be starting to disappear from our use, but but, um, it derives one of hundreds that Benjamin Bedden Bedham wrote from this village of Burton on the Water that came across the water and came into your, your use and I hope was of encouragement to you and that's what I'd like to do with the rest of the time is simply dissect uh, the, the, the text because the melody was actually added by another author in 1839 but this was printed in 1817 after his death in 1795. It was printed, 13 of them were in some of the hymnals that began to be put together back in the early part of the 19th century. In the early Church of Christ fellowships, they only had 12 hymns. I mentioned this before. And then they started acquiring more. This is one of the ones that was acquired. And I even did a quick history in our hymn books of the use of Mr. Bedham's hymn. And there it is, beginning with the beginning part of the 20th century, 1921, and then again in 1937, Great Songs of the Church, number one, and then number two. Maybe some of you can identify, those of you that are older. 1963 is picked up by the Christian hymnal. Which which of these hymnals did your church use, did your congregation use back in your growing-up days? L.O. Sanderson, one of the great songwriters uh, connected with Harding. I didn't get to meet him, but he was already passed away when I got there. 1966, put it in Christian hymns. In Songs of the Church, one of the ones that I encountered when I got the, to college, to Christian college, it was there, 1971. That was the hymn book that I found when I got to college in 1970 and none of your business. In 1990, it was... Reprised by the Songs of the Church 21st Century Edition, and it's in Praise to the Lord. For the Lord, it's in Songs of Faith and Praise by Alton Howard, and it's in Sacred Songs. Now, 
We are moving a lot to things by memory, and I don't know how many of these high church songs that have four-part harmony are going to survive in the test of time, but I hope, I hope they do. I hope the ones that are meaningful do. I hope we always look at the lyrics, and that's what I'd like to do. God is the fountain whence. Stanza number one. I will put three moments of scripture with each of the stanzas that Mr. Bedham put together. This is a sermon and a hymn. I'm letting the hymn preach the sermon. God is the fountain whence 10,000 blessings flow to him, my life, my health, and friends, and every good I owe. The context of Acts chapter 14 is, of course, Paul and Silas' first missionary journey. It's the year 48 AD, approximately. We are in the city of Lystra. It's in central Turkey today. It was in Asia Minor in the province of Roma back at that time. First missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas are there, and, uh, and they come to the city of Lystra, and a miracle is effected. And the miracle prompts the pagan Lycaonian-speaking people of Lystra to think that the two men that are in front of them, one maybe look older, one younger, to think that they are the gods, the pagan gods that have come down from heaven. Maybe the old one, maybe Barnabas, looking like Santa Claus is maybe Zeus. And the other one, the one that seems to talk a lot, Paul, that would be Hermes, the messenger god. And they start worshiping them as if the gods had come down to visit them. You may know in another setting I mentioned there was a mythology that was in the collection of myths at that time that had the gods coming down to check out people with regard to their hospitality. Were these Zeus and Hermes coming down? Well, here's the text of Acts chapter 14 as Luke puts it before you and says the following. Men, this is what Paul says to those Lycaonians that are bowing down, worshiping him. And he says, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you and we bring you good news that you should turn away from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Stop. Stop. Stop this foolishness, man-made God. Stop. But please listen. In past generations, he, the one true living God, allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. And then I've highlighted for me and for you, He did not leave himself without witnesses. For he did good things by giving you rains from heaven, fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. It is especially in moments of loss, in days of loss, that it's good to remember both sides. As we mourn, Brother Bill, as my wife got the news of her cousin, Son, Alex, a, a cop in, in St. Louis, just fell on his back patio porch yesterday, hit his head, and he too passed away at the age of 27. Tragic accidents. We consider the, 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 the losses and we consider all the, the, the good too because the God, the living God, the one true living God, he has not left himself without witnesses. He did good. By giving us rains in heaven and fruitful seasons. This very week, the Sanders rejoice with a new child. Is that right? And I rejoice in my 14th grandchild, which was born Monday. God, God is there. God always is there. God is the God of 
Every moment of your life, every day, even the hard days, the days of loss, he gives, he gives, and he continues to give today, today. In Acts chapter 17, the same man, Paul, is standing on a rock with the Acropolis behind him, the temple to, to Athena. And she has been there, that temple has been there for four and a half centuries. And she has been the goddess of the Athenians for 15 centuries. And he dares to say, there's nobody home. There's nobody there. But I want to tell you about the God that is the one true living God. Acts chapter 17 in the speech that Paul gives by himself standing among enemies of his ideas. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything. And then, highlighted for me and you, he himself gives all mankind, all mankind, life and breath and everything. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. And then Paul quotes, not Old Testament, but he quotes the prophet, the poet Aratus, because they knew him, and twice he quotes from his work called The Phenomena. And he says, in him, and identifying who he is, in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, we are indeed his offspring. We are children of God. The Lord Jesus, a few decades before, said it on the horns of Hattin, just outside of the Sea of Galilee, in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, why are you so anxious? Why do you worry as if it will add a day to your life? I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body, more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. Look at the lilies of the field. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father watches over them. God will watch over you. God is watching over you. God cares about you and I. Especially in our moments of loss. God is the fountain whence 10,000 blessings flow. We can mention three. You know, your life, your health, your friends. Now, you want to continue that list? I'll check back with you next Sunday. Because if you're honest, you can't finish that list between now and next Sunday. Verse number two. The comforts he affords are neither few nor small. He is the source of fresh delights, my portion and my all. Are you looking for comfort this morning? James 1 and verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Your God does not take breaks. Your God does not take vacations. Your God does not forget. Your God always keeps his promises. 
Your God knows every hair on your head. Your God knows every prayer that you started to utter, are going to utter. He is unchanging. He has no variation. He was there for you yesterday. He's there for you today. And if you call on him, he will be there tomorrow. He's unchanging. Psalm 94 and verse 19. Here's the recognition of the psalmist. Maybe it's David. Maybe he's had a bad day. Maybe he just had his son betray him. Maybe he just lost his newborn son. Maybe he's just had a really bad day. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolation, your consolations, they cheer me. How do you find your joy? A day of loss. That's where you find it. The psalmist again, Psalm 73 and verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The first part is an acknowledgement of how you and I feel where you are at. Maybe today. My flesh and my heart are failing me. My emotions and my thinking process are not helping with my loss and my confusion and my chaos in my life today. But God is the strength of my heart and he's the portion forever. I'm not going to let go of that. That's what I stand on. That's what I believe. He'll never let me down. Stanza three. He fills my heart with joy. My lips attunes for praise. To his glory I'll devote the remnant of my days. Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. As he begins that letter to the church in Ephesus from house arrest. He's been imprisoned or in house arrest for four and a half years. Innocent. Guilty of nothing. But his attitude is one of no matter what. In him we have redemption through his blood. Forgiveness of our trespasses. That stands true no matter what is going on around me. According to the riches of his grace. And I wish I could explain that. The riches of his grace. For all the losses that I feel. There's the riches of his grace. Which should outpour, outnumber, out overwhelm. Everything else that happens to me in my life. In about the same month or same year, Paul will write the letter of Philippians. And that's the letter of rejoice, 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 written from prison. And here it is. One of them, you remember it 16 times. He says, rejoice, a verb, a command in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Find happiness in God and the blessings you have, especially in the moments of great loss. James chapter 5 and verse 13. Acknowledgement. I'm suffering today. I don't know how to get out of this. Depression, financial loss, a tragic accident, job, 
family member, friend. Is anyone among you suffering? Here they are, the twin towers. Pray, and then praise. They happen to start both in English with a P. Pray, and then sing. If you can't carry a tune, say the words. God loves it. God hears it. You need to pray, and you need to praise. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. I wouldn't have wanted to be a missionary or minister of the Corinthian church. Boy, did they have problems. That said, Paul never gives up on them. And in one of his moments, he says this, look, whether you eat or drink, he about had it with them and all their problems. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all that you do, your mourning, to the glory of God. You're praising to the glory of God. To the glory of God. So, thank you, Mr. Bedham, for reminding me. He used a metaphor. The Bible uses metaphors a lot, illustrations. He used a metaphor of a thirsty man in a dry place. God is the fountain winds, fountain. Have you ever been dehydrated, very thirsty? And that refreshing first swig of water in a very hot day. You're longing for a fountain full of fresh water. We have another hymn that kind of follows that theme. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. That's where we should be in every day of our life. In a dry, thirsty world which we are in. It's a desert out there. Concerning all things physical, they don't have a solution to sudden accidents and death. To the spiritual, more important even than that. God is the fountain whence. God is the fountain whence. That's the lesson that I bring to you today. One more thing. If you had to start the list of the blessings of God in your life, even in days of loss, I would hope that number one would be charis. It's used 156 times in the New Testament. Charis is how in the original Greek language you say the word grace. It comes from the verb chairo, which means to rejoice. It's a happy thing. It's a happy concept. It's a do you realize what you have? Do you realize what you have? Maybe you're making a list of things you're missing. You're not getting. You're lacking. But do you realize what you have? Start with number one. Terry, it's translated sometimes, loving kindness, favor, goodwill. I love that loving kindness one because Jesus, one of his blessings on the Sermon on the Mount said, blessing all the merciful. You know what the word for merciful is in Greek? Same one for loving kindness. Like God. He gives when you don't deserve it. He gives when you don't deserve it. So I end. There's a horse. There's a man. There's another man. I've used this painting before. He's about 30, 
30 years old, something like that. He's on a mission from God, he thinks, to arrest people in Damascus. And then Jesus appears to him in his own personal resurrection. It's recorded in Acts chapter 9, chapter 22, and chapter 26. That was the reading you had this morning. He fell to the ground. He's on the ground. He's got his hands up, and he's saying, who are you? And Jesus is saying back, I'm the one that you are persecuting. Three seconds to, to realize he was wrong. And then, three days of blindness to think about it. Can I suggest something to you? I think I know what Paul thought about for three days. It's what you and I should be thinking about this morning. Why? Why me? Why am I recipient of the grace of God? Why? God is the fountain whence. We're going to sing an invitation song. If you're not in Christ, you need that grace, that free gift. God comes into your life and says, I'll give you my son. That's what it takes to get you free from your sin. If you're in Christ and you want to reclaim that grace fully, powerfully, would you come as we stand and sing?